The Lord's Prayer has been called the model prayer or the pattern after which the disciples of Jesus have been taught to pray. It is revealing when one studies this prayer closely to recognize that after Jesus had given it to his disciples, he chose one petition from that prayer to explain and to expand. And it was that petition having to do with forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This means Jesus' decision to explain and to expand that we must pay close attention to that petition. All of them have ultimate importance, but here is one that our Lord especially wished to emphasize. More than that, in the sequence of the prayer, he put it just after the request for daily bread. Putting it as he did right after daily, we believe that he intended that this practice of forgiveness should be a daily exercise, one of those continuing holy habits marking the life of a Christian disciple. This emphasis by Jesus was so important, as a matter of fact, that he lifted it up in his first sermon when he declared, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And then he lifted it again in his prayer, expanded on it, and gave us one of his most memorable parables on the same theme in the 18th chapter. In that parable, you recall, he told about how the king settled accounts with his servants. And they brought to him one servant who owed him the enormous sum of 10,000 talents. Why, the whole uh, gross national product of Galilee, their richest province, was only 300 uh, talents. So here we're talking about a, a sum of money more than, than three of those provinces put together. It was an unheard of amount of money. And when the servant came, obviously he was unable to pay. And the legal code at that time permitted him to be sold together with his wife and family uh, that payment on the debt might be made. But before the king did that, that poor debtor fell on his knees and said, If you'll have patience, I'll pay you everything. Why, well, that was a wishful thought. But when he, he begged for mercy, why, the king freely forgave him all of that huge indebtedness. And then that man went out into the street and, and met one of his fellows who owed him uh, $20. He himself had been forgiven $10 million, And now he met someone who owed him 20 And those hands that had been ringing in agony before the king suddenly went around the throat of that fellow servant and he began to, th to throttle him, began to choke him saying, man, you pay me what you owe me. And that servant, it was like he had been an eavesdropper. 
He used the same speech. He said, have mercy on me, have patience, and I'll, I'll pay you. But this man said, I'm not going to do that at all. You're, you're going to jail. And so he sent him off to jail. Well, there were people who, who saw that little transaction, and they ran to tell the king. And when the king heard about it, he hauled this man in there, and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that huge debt, and now you wouldn't forgive your brother, even that paltry sum. You're going off to jail till you pay the last penny. In other words, Jesus is saying, how can you, who have been forgiven so very, very much, how can you now refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters? for their sins against you. This matter of forgiveness has always been central, hasn't it? Reinhold Niebuhr in another generation said that forgiveness is the central issue in Christian theology. He said that the church, the modern church, has been slow to become aware of it, but it's true. And after being a pastor for a number of years, I, I agree with Niebuhr that, that it is probably the central problem among God's people, the problem of forgiveness. Now, Clarence Jordan has given us kind of a historical summary of, of this matter of, of forgiveness. He said a long time ago, people practiced unlimited retaliation. Uh, you injure my child, I'll wipe out your entire tribe. Uh, you take one of my cows, I'll burn your house down and, and kill your children. I mean unlimited retaliation among primitive peoples. He then went on to say when, when we received the, the laws of Moses, and, and Moses taught us that we should practice an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that, that's limited retaliation. And though that, that may sound severe, and many of our legal codes follow that, that may sound severe, that represented a great step forward in the progress of our understanding of religion. Prior to that time, people had practiced unlimited retaliation. Now the punishment had to fit the crime. No more than that. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And then he goes on to explain there came a time when we practiced it. We practiced limited forgiveness. We would love our neighbor and hate our enemy. Uh, we would forgive those people whom we loved. Uh, Jesus talked about uh, people like that. He said, you do good to those who do good to you. You love those who love you. You give good gifts to those who, who give gifts to you. That's limited forgiveness. But then when we come to Jesus and all his fullness and glory, we have unlimited forgiveness. But I say to you, he said, you love your enemies and you pray for those who despitefully use you. That's unlimited forgiveness. And that's a great challenge, isn't it? Many of us are still struggling on the level of, 
of in-house forgiveness, struggling with forgiving those people who are going to have a chance if we'll wait a few days to forgive us for something we've done. <laughs> we have a hard time forgiving the people uh, with whom we live and, and the people whom we love. We keep score. Uh, I've forgiven you ten times. You've only forgiven me nine. I mean, we, we, we go to all kinds of ridiculous lengths. We, we forget that to live with someone is to practice forgiveness daily. We have a hard time with one another. Like that man I read about the other day who was seen running frantically up, up uh, stream at the river. And someone stopped him and said, Man, where are you going in such a hurry? He said, My wife, my wife, she fell into the river. I'm, I'm trying to rescue her. And, and the friend said, Well, man, you, you're running upstream. You ought to be going downstream. And he said, You don't know how contrary my wife is. Uh, we, we have a hard time with a contrary husband or, or a contrary wife. We, we get hung up on this in-house forgiveness. And, and all the while, the real challenge for mature disciples is out there with those persons who deliberately hurt us. And, and we have some of that in a sometimes cruel, imperfect world. People who, as Joseph said about his brothers, you meant it to be evil. We're not talking about an accidental thing we can easily overlook. You meant it to be evil. Like some of those letters I received after the Houston Declaration came out. Bothered me. I think some of those folk really meant what they said to me. And I'd, I'd have to stay up sometimes, uh, uh, thinking about those letters. And I told you about one of them after this person said all kinds of ugly things. He, he went on to say, you preachers in the big churches, you just uh, were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. I wrote him back and said, I know I was born and reared at Snipesville. I accept the fact that I'm one of the privileged few in this world. I graduated from Snipesville Academy, and I, I know I've been blessed. But I mean ugly. What, what do you do? The challenge is when someone uh, deliberately says something or, or does something to, to bring hurt. I was preaching several years ago in a state uh, far from ours, and during the course of the days I was preaching there, I had the joy of, of preaching to a retired missionary. Here was someone who had spent his life, in fact, lost his mate on the mission field, had, had spent his entire life thousands of miles away from home. It, it was such a joy to sit there and, and to preach to him and to interact with him after the service. His, his clothes, his person indicated that economically he had had a very severe time. Back in the days when he was on the mission field, it was especially harsh. Uh, when he smiled, it was an imperfect smile because there had been no dentistry available where he had been serving. I mean, his entire person, uh, radiant as it was, spoke 
about what he had suffered, the deprivations he had suffered in the years of service when he and his wife, she literally laying down her life on the mission field. On the last night of that meeting, I was shocked when he came to tell me about an experience that had occurred to him years and years earlier when someone had done a terrible thing to him. And as he spoke to me about that experience, his wonderful face got all twisted up in a new kind of agony. And he said, I have never forgiven him for what he did. And I, I wanted to take him in my arms and rush to the altar. I had all kinds of feelings. Here was a man who we all looked up to and and yet he was carrying that horrible resentment in his soul that had been eating away at him for years. And I thought, my God, if a man like that is in jeopardy because of an unforgiven sin against him, how much more in jeopardy am I, am all of us, when someone does something bad to us? When someone does us hurt, it puts our very souls in jeopardy. You see, we cannot do what that man had done without grave damage to our inner selves. We cannot bank that resentment and just hold it there through the years. We have been given a standard by our God. And in that standard, he laid down his life for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he died praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that standard will forever be the guide for us in our relationships with others. Look at that parable we read a moment ago. The king did not get angry with that servant because he owed him $10 million. He didn't get angry with that servant about the debt. When does that word angry appear? The word angry appears when he has, has refused to forgive his brother. And they call him back in front of the king. And the king was angry, not about the debt, but about his harsh, unforgiving attitude. And what happened? The man who had been forgiven... The man whose debt had been canceled is now put back around his neck and he bears it to the jail. God canceled the canceled debt and God took the debt which he had taken away earlier and put it back onto the neck of the man who had shown in his own life that he would not mirror the mercy of God. God's love had not found an echo in his soul. That man expected God to do for him what he was unwilling to do for others. And God gave him his debt back. It's scary, isn't it? No wonder Jesus wanted to explain it further. It's scary. Because we are forgiven as we forgive. But God has taken the initiative. 
God has forgiven us first, and He has offered us the grace and the Spirit to enable us to be forgiving persons. Why is it so hard for us to forgive? Maybe we've forgotten the magnitude of our own sin. That happens. We just, we've forgotten. If someone is aware of how much God has loved us, then it makes us more loving and tolerant toward other people. But I heard a bishop say the other day, you know, nowadays people are, are offended if the preacher suggests that we're all sinners. It offends people. People think about a sinner as a drug dealer or someone who makes the papers in a heinous crime. That's a sinner. I'm a respectable citizen. I've never been in danger of going to jail. We forget that the Bible has about five different words for sinner. One of them means you can miss the mark. You just, you just don't come up to everything God has expected of you. you. You miss the mark. Another is that you just step across the line. You haven't always been completely honest. You haven't always told the whole truth. Another one is you, you slip across the line. You're good for the most part, but now and again you lose control. Another has it that you just simply rebel. You say, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And another is this word debt that was used in the Lord's Prayer, which really means duty. Have you always done your perfect duty toward God and toward the rest of humankind? If you have, I'd like to meet you right after the service. I've never met anyone who's done all of those things. Sometimes we forget the magnitude of our sins. Our sins put Jesus Christ on that cross. And He died saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then sometimes we just don't want to forget those grievances. We reinforce and reinfect all those old wounds. How many times I've heard people say, Now it's all right now, I've forgiven him, but, but let me tell you what he did to me. And as they start out, they get more animated, their eyes are shining, they start to make gestures, and suddenly all the old fires are burning again. It, it's like a fire that's almost gone out. It's just down to a spark or two, and they punch it alive until it flames up once more. Won't let it go. They keep pulling the scabs off the old hurts. Like a preacher said to me one time, I was telling him a story about someone who had done me wrong when I started out. Someone who had told me I'd never make it as a preacher. A lot of bad things. That pastor listened to me. He had apparently heard me tell that story before. He looked at me and said, Don't you think you can let that go? Aren't you really about ready to, to let that go? A Moravian missionary went to the Eskimos and, and couldn't find a word for forgiveness. And so he, he put a compound word together. And in that, that compound word meant uh, uh, no longer being able to think about it anymore. 
no longer being able to think about it anymore. I like that old folk wisdom that says you can feed a puppy and starve a lion, and if you do that long enough, the puppy will whip the lion. Some things we just need to starve to death. And we can starve those grudges and those resentments until, uh, by God's grace, they, they disappear. Because, you see, when we've been forgiven, we also accept Christ into our lives. And, and through His Spirit, He calls us to be imitators of Him. And He offers us the grace not only to cover our sins, but to enable us to forgive the sins of people who do wrong things to us. And that kind of grace received and offered can change your home, can change your life, can change our world. I don't know if you had an opportunity to see the play Les Miserables when it came to Houston, but some of us saw it uh, the other day on our trip to England. What a marvelous uh, rendition of Victor Hugo's famous novel. Not only was that play all about uh, social justice and sensitivity to the part that poverty plays in crime, but it was also a moving expression of grace to me. Jean Valjean, the principal character, you recall from the book or from the play, had been put into prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread to try to feed his sister's family. 19 years, and he's bitter, and finally he's set free. And he goes out, and the, first, the only one who befriends him is a bishop. And, and he rewards the bishop by stealing some of his silver. And he's caught red-handed by the police, having stolen from the man who was kind to him. And, and the bishop's called in to press charges, and instead of pressing charges, he goes on and gives him the, the silver candlesticks as well. And Jean Valjean is never the same. He goes out from that day, and he begins to demonstrate grace to an orphan child. Prayed a beautiful prayer for the young man who would later marry the girl whom he had reared as his own daughter even forgave and freed the man who wanted to put him back into prison. Everyone he touched, he offered grace. And when at last, the last scene of the play, when he's, he's, he's singing his death song and he's about to leave this world, in front of him on the table holding two candles burning, or the candlesticks, a reminder of the man who first showed mercy to that bitter man. Every time we sit down in this sanctuary, we have the symbol of our forgiveness right in front of us, the cross of Jesus Christ. Accept that grace then and offer it to others in the name of Jesus. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, we have received unmeasured grace. Our souls, if they never knew respite, and if our tears could forever flow, these for sin could not atone, thou must save and thou alone. We acknowledge that thou art the source of our forgiveness. 
And now let your grace be so strong within us through the power of your Spirit that we might share it with the whole world for Jesus' sake. Amen. As we sing, let those who wish to be presented as new members in our church, would you come forward, please? If you would like to come and ask for prayer about this matter of forgiveness, we would be pleased to receive you as well. Would you come then as we sing together?